If you have your Bibles with you, um, we would ask that you would turn to Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter four. First Thessalonians, chapter four, nine through twelve. And there is also an insert in your bulletin today if you'd like to take notes. <clears throat> Last Sunday, I, I spoke on being an ambassador for Christ. That every Christian is called to be an ambassador, to be His mouthpiece, to tell others about. Him about Jesus. And what does that look like in the workplace? I believe the scriptures are very practical as well. And so today I'd like us to think about what is it like to be salt and light in our workplace, the place that God has called you to work. And so reading these verses, starting at verse verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and to attend to your own business and to work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need." I want you to think about the struggle that we are witnessing in our culture today over the question of identity. Today, people are on an endless quest of finding an identity in those things that they believe will make them happy. The culture tells people to turn inward and to follow the desires of their heart to define one's identity. Last night, I was looking at the news and um, I'm saddened to see the um, publicity they give to the gay, the gay Pride Week. And they were interviewing some of those individuals. They said, oh, I, it is so freeing. Uh, we finally can express who we are. And, and I think if they were to say, they probably would say, this is my identity as being uh, a gay person. I think that's sad. They don't realize what bondage of sin that they're in. Because true freedom is found in knowing Christ, Jesus. Once people believe that they have found their true identity, notice again how passionate they are to make it known. We should have the same passion as a Christian to tell about our identity in Christ. Believers in Christ need to be careful. We need to be careful of these alternative identities that are being proposed by the world today. And we need to pursue our identity in Christ Jesus. And because the believer's identity is in Christ, this forms also the foundation for how we are to live in this world of ours. I said last week, we live in a foreign world. This world is not our home. Jesus said we are to live in it, but not to become a part of it. And so when we realize that our identity is in Christ, and how that is the foundation for how we are to live in this world as his followers, as Christ ambassadors. In Matthew chapter 5, we heard some verses that are called to worship today in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus declares that Christians are called to be the salt of the earth, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and the light of the world in verses 14 through 16. <clears throat> Here, Jesus defines the believer's identity in this world with the metaphors of salt and light. 
And in the Beatitudes that precede his definition of our identity, Jesus describes what we are by God's grace. We are to be Christians who are characterized as meek, as those who mourn over sin, who are gentle, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and as those who rejoice when persecuted. In what follows, Jesus expresses how these qualities are demonstrated before the world and reveals what believers accomplish by God's grace. I said last Sunday that the believer's greatest priority as Christ's ambassadors is spreading the gospel, of seeking to bring sinners to a place of repentance and faith, that they would be reconciled to God, and then also to help Christians to grow in their what we call sanctification, to help them to become more spiritually mature. You know, the majority of adults in the, in the United States spend roughly half of their waking hours at work. Have you ever realized that? But many Christians, I believe, don't know how to live out their faith at work. I, there are some who think that living out our faith is something you do on Sunday only, and then the rest of the week... When you go off to work, you kind of, I like to say, you hang your Christianity up and then you kind of want to blend into culture, blend into the world around us. But that's not the way it should be. Being a Christian or being a follower of Jesus is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week. And as salt and light, we are to affect the world in which we live for Jesus. But sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we're allowing the culture to affect us in a wrong way. But what does it mean to be salt and light in the midst of a busy job? What does it mean to be salt and light at the place where you are working day in and day out? Before we consider our text today, let me say this, that before the believer goes off to work, or for you young people, before you go off to school or to college, I believe we should spend time with God. I like to call it a quiet time or devotional time, but I like a quiet time where you open his word and allow God to speak to you, to minister to you through his word. And it's very, it's amazing how scripture that you read for that morning, that God will many times use that scripture to, to be something that you, you need as you approach the day and as you interact with people. Those verses will come back and God, the Holy Spirit will use those verses that you've read and meditated on. So spend time in God's word, but also spend time in prayer. Um, allow that time to confess your sin to God, that you would be a clean vessel as you start the day. And ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with his power. And ask God to give you opportunities to share the word of God with others and ask the God, the Holy Spirit, to give you the words to say as he gives you those opportunities. I like what one person said, before you talk to your neighbor or before you talk to your co-worker about God, tell God, <laughs> bring, tell God about your co-worker. Bring it to him in prayer that God would prepare their hearts and be receptive and that God would help you to be calm. Because I have to be honest, sometimes <clears throat> I'm nervous. Um, when I have those opportunities and I, and I want to be used by God. And so, Lord, give me the words to say. And as God opens the door, even at work, <clears throat> to be prepared to step through those doors 
And as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Paul here in the book of 1 Thessalonians, verses 10 through 12, he provides three clear exhortations about how we should go about our work. And then he follows that with two reasons why we should do this. But first of all, let's look at verses 9 and 10. Why should we do this? I believe it's the love of God is what motivates, should motivate the Christian to tell others about him. When a person comes to believe in Christ, our heart is filled with his love. Our, our view of life changes. We look at people differently when God transforms our heart and mind. And for me, I shared last Sunday that when God changed my heart, all of a sudden began to wonder if the ones I worked with, did they know Jesus? And so God gave me an opportunity to share with each one of those uh, in the next weeks following, uh, individually, one-on-one, to tell them what Jesus had done in my life and how he could change their life as well. You see, hand-in-hand with love for God comes love for one's neighbor should be love for your co-workers or those in school. In 1 John 4, 19-21, John writes, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen <clears throat> cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We're also called to love our enemies, too, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. But not only were they taught by God to love one another, but they practiced love toward all the brethren, it says in verse 10, in all of Macedonia. If you look at a map in the back of your Bible, it would take in cities like Philippi and Berea. Uh, these Christians not only grew in their love for God, but they, they wanted to help, too, the people in Macedonia. Not only did they share the gospel, but also gave out of their poverty, it says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. They gave out of their poverty a contribution to help the saints in Jerusalem. So even though they didn't have much, it was the love of God that motivated them to give from the heart. And God blessed them. And Paul says here in verse 10, in light of all of this, he admonishes them, that their love for others would excel still more. Now they could have said, Paul, aren't you ever happy? (laughs) I want your love to excel still more. I want to ask you, is your love perfect? Mine isn't. In fact, many times I have to ask the Lord, help me to love so-and-so. We need to excel more and more in love, this agape love that only God can give us. And so Paul says, I want you to excel still more. Their love wasn't perfect. It needed to increase and abound still more. It would be like planting a, a, an apple tree. As it grows and matures, it will bear fruit. And, it, and as, you, as it's cared for, it bears more and more fruit. God wants us to bear fruit for him. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, patience. And then Paul writes in verse 11 that the believer should make it his ambition That's how my Bible says it in verse 11. To make it your ambition, 
it pictures an individual who is totally committed to obtaining or achieving a specific goal. Totally committed to obtaining or achieving a specific goal. And Paul gives us three exhortations. The worst first one is found in verse 11. Actually, they're all found in verse 11. Uh, But the first one is to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Now, I wonder what, what do you think that means as we think about the workplace? Some Bibles might say to live quietly or to live calmly. Make it your ambition to live quietly. In, the world around us has turned into an, an ever louder place. <clears throat> Polite civil conversations has frequently been replaced by loud shouting matches. Some are eager to argue there about whatever the topic of the day is, and yet when it comes to sharing the gospel, sharing about Jesus, many of us who say we're Christian, we're shy, and we're quiet. To lead a quiet life here, Paul does not mean to stop telling others about Jesus. It does not mean to stop telling others about the gospel, the good news that can set people free. But I believe it does mean to limit our talk to whatever was whatever or to what is wholesome and helpful. Because you can get into conversations at work that are not, you know, cursing and stuff like that. And sometimes it's better just to be silent and to walk away. Limit our talk to what is wholesome and helpful. I remember before I became a pastor, I worked in a creamery. I talked about that last Sunday. But when I came down to Bible school here, Bible College today, it's called, my first place of employment was with Soto. I don't know if any of you worked at Wisoto, but it, they made grinders. And I remember as I applied for that job and I started going there, <clears throat> I really wondered um, the people that I work with, did they know Jesus? And so I would pray before I went off to Wisoto that God would give an open door to share him. And I remember the first day I went in there, <clears throat> there was this guy, because I was a teenager at that time, and this guy, I would say was old, but now I'm older than that guy was. But um, <clears throat> I went up to him, not knowing him, and I said, good afternoon. What's good about it? He said, it's just a crashity old man. <laughs> and, and, I, and I made it a point <laughs> from that day on, that I would come there with a joyful heart and be able to greet him. And I began to pray for that man because I thought, here's a guy who would come early in the morning when it was dark. He would leave when it was dark. He ne- there was no windows on this building. He never saw the light of day when he worked there, especially during the winter. And I guess maybe that would make someone grouchy. But I prayed for him. And I had opportunities that year to to share with him more, and he started to soften up some. I, I believe it was the Holy Spirit that was beginning to soften him. I was able to plant some seed uh, to, into this heart of this man. And then I, I also shared with a number of others, but I would make sure that I did it on my break time. It was not during company time. 
but I did it during my lunch breaks. And I would purposely, because we had a few others from Bible school that worked there, I purposely did not sit with Christians. You know, it's so easy to sit with someone else that's a Christian at work, but I made it purposely that I would sit with someone I didn't know. And since I was new to the area, I thought one great way to start a conversation is to ask them, where do you go to church? (laughs) I'm new here. Where do you go to church? So if they said, I don't go to church, I would ask, well, why don't you? And it would start a spiritual conversation. And it's so easy for us to do that at work. And, um, and then the next year at Bible school, I worked at uh, Julemont Corporation. I don't know if any of you ever worked at Julemont, but that, that was a place where they hired a lot of Bible school students. And I, I had many opportunities to talk to individuals who were not saved during my break time, to tell them about Jesus, to bring about spiritual conversations. But we have those opportunities where we work. I I read about one Christian um, who confessed that he would extend his lunch breaks. In other words, he would continue his lunch break when he should be working. He did that just to give a few more arguments for why his co-workers should trust Jesus. But what this Christian didn't realize was that his example at work wasn't very impressive. He was quick to speak, but at times he neglected the work responsibilities that he was called to do. That was not a great example as far as the outsider looking at this person who claimed Christ and he was negligent in his work. You know, sometimes a few words about our faith are enough And then we should go back and faithfully do our work. That can be a great testimony of doing our work well. The words of Peter that he wrote to Christian wives regarding unsaved husbands. I I love this address in 1 Peter chapter 3 where there were wives who had unsaved husbands. How can I win my unsaved husband? And this is what Peter said. He said, um, We should strive to win others without words as they observe our respectful and pure conduct. If the believer is marked by such general restraint, I believe the gospel will sound forth much more powerfully once we open our mouths to speak about our Lord and Savior. So let our life and how we conduct ourselves be a witness for our Savior. And then when God gives that opportunity, open our mouths as well to speak. Secondly, Paul says to the people at Thessalonica, make it your ambition to attend to your own business, or some Bibles say, mind your own affairs. Now, what what does Paul mean there? And some people would look at that as a Christian and say, yeah, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm just going to stick to my own business. Um, let me say this, Christians should not meddle, or meddle in the affairs of others. Let me say it again, Christians should not meddle in the affairs of others. When we do so, I believe we can become what the Bible calls busybodies. And it is so easy for gossip and slander to begin. We should be single-minded about what God has given us to do. Now, Paul's not saying that believers should never concern themselves with helping their neighbor or helping their co-workers. That's not what he's saying. We do need to come alongside people in need. You know, the day and age we live in, 
there are a lot of hurting people out there. There are people in great despair and really have a hopeless view of life. And some of them are concerned about the future. And you know what? We have the answers. We have Jesus Christ we can point them to. We read about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. When that person was beat up and left alongside the road to die, did the Samaritan just say, no, I'm not, I'm not getting involved in that business? That's what the others did. But he got involved. He helped them, helped that person in need. This is not what Paul is talking about uh, as far as not being concerned about others. It's easy to get pulled into things that should not be our concern. But this problem in the church of Thessalonica must have grown worse, for Paul again addresses this in his second letter to the Thessalonican, or Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. The third exhortation, Paul says, make it your ambition to work with your own hands. I believe this is a call to diligence at work. The Thessalonians expected the immediate return of Christ. If you look at the next verses following, they're talking about the return of Christ. And I truly believe that the people in Paul's day believed that Christ was coming back in their time. And so I, I believe that led to idleness. Like, well, I'm not going to do my work too much because hey, Jesus is going to come back. And in, this, in their excitement and their eager anticipation of Jesus' return, they neglected their work. But such idleness is not pleasing to God. Some Christians might be tempted <clears throat> to think that it might be pleasing to God if they do the bare minimum at work in order to have more time to do what they consider to be more significant, and that would be like sharing the gospel or even using company time to prepare a Sunday school lesson. This is probably well-intentioned, but it is not what God's Word teaches Listen to what Paul says in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Paul is speaking here to servants, which I would refer today to employees, to their employer, to their boss. Chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 22 and 24. <clears throat> Slaves, in all things obey those who are your master on earth not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. As we work, we should go over and beyond what we are asked to do. You know, in your place of employment, you're, you're given a task to do. But when that task is done, then maybe we need to look at what else can I do? Maybe it's sweeping the floor. Maybe it's taking out the garbage. Do it. Do your work as unto the Lord as a Christian. My dad 
who was not a believer when I was growing up. One thing my dad left me, and, and by the way, my dad did come to know the Lord later in life. I'm so thankful for that. But while I was growing up, my dad left me a great worth ethic. And that is you work hard at your job and you do it well. I like that. Work hard at your job and do it well. And I've told my children as they were growing up and they got uh, paper routes, they mowed lawns, they were lifeguards. I said, whatever you are doing, do your work as unto the Lord. That's the one whom you're serving ultimately. I, I was um, I was in, making an interview at a job in Buffalo, which I, by the way, didn't get. Maybe they didn't like my last response. <laughs> but um, they asked a question, and I said, <clears throat> I said, if I get hired here, I'm going to do my work as hard as I can to bring a good name to this company. But I said, ultimately, I want to bring glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, because I said, how we do our jobs, how we live our lives, I said to these two individuals, <clears throat> we're all going to give an account, including you, before God someday. How you lived your life, including how you worked at your job I think many people go to their jobs today um, with the idea of goofing off, some, (laughs) or as much as they dare, and they seem unconcerned about the quality of their performance. But Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. I mean, isn't it today there's a mentality of laziness today? So many people don't want to work. And if they do work, they want the highest pay with the least amount of work. I've even met people that say, well, I want want to apply for this job, but I want to start at the top. (laughs) Sorry, that doesn't work that way. You start at the bottom and you work your way up. And I've always said to our children, if, if you do your work well, if God honors that, he will exalt you. He will cause you to go up in that company or that workplace. But leave it in God's hands. Seek to honor God in all that you do. In Ephesians 4.28, Paul also said, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I believe Paul here is developing the seventh commandment, Thou shalt not steal, and how we are to follow it. His instructions that professing Christians with a history of stealing He says, should no longer steal, and that is relying on the seventh commandment. To those who have turned from their sin to follow Christ, they are to work diligently doing honest work with their hands. I believe there's a lot of stealing going on in our day. We see it. We've heard it on the news where people go into stores and they just haul stuff away. How can you do that? And not get, how can you not be arrested? But they're doing this. How can you be a store owner and able to make it in a business? And, and we also hear about people just going to homes and stealing things. But, but what about stealing wages for time not spent working when we're loafing at our job? And, and then there are many people, along with that, apply for government welfare programs when they could be working at a job. I think that's wrong. So these three exhortations of how we should go about our work as a Christian, being salt and light in our place of work, 
Finally, we see two reasons why we should work this way. Look at verse 12. So that you may behave properly toward outsiders. In other words, so that the believer will be salt and light at their workplace. After all, most of us will work surrounded by non-Christians, won't we? When I went to Wasoto and even Jilmont, I was surrounded by a lot of non-Christians. And when I made it known that I was a Christian, do you think that they were watching me? (laughs) I think they were. I wonder how he does his work. I wonder if he'll work hard at his job. What kind of testimony do we leave with those that are outsiders? The way we go about our work will be an important aspect, I believe, of our witness. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves or employees, sometimes you have ever said, I feel like a slave. <laughs> Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And let those who have believers as their master, now you might have the privilege of having a boss that's a Christian. Don't take advantage of that. Work hard for that Christian boss, just like you would for an unbelieving boss. Let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles, Paul says to Timothy. So, why work this way? Why work hard? So that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And then the last reason, that we would not be in any need, verse 12 See, I believe that God will use our diligent work to provide for us, to provide for your families, so that we may be dependent on no one. I believe when you have your job, thank God for your job, because God has given you that job. God gives you the strength to work at that job so that we can provide for our families, and we give God the praise, God the glory, and not to be dependent on anyone Instead, we'll be able to make up for what may be lacking in the diligence of others. I've heard people say, yeah, so-and-so, and they may not be a believer. So-and-so doesn't do their job, so I feel like I'm doing their work too. Well, do it joyfully then. Do it joyfully for the Lord. Let it be a witness that it's Jesus Christ that makes a difference in your life. So we will be able to make up for what may be lacking in the diligence of others, and we will be able to help those who are in true need, those who maybe have true disabilities. When God blesses us, he wants us to be a blessing to others, and then also to support the ministry of the church. Those who are able to work must work and not live off of others. And the person who is able to work but unwilling to work must not receive financial assistance from God's people. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 12. We're to help those who truly are in need. But there are people that can't work, but they're unwilling to work. What did Paul say? He that's not work, neither shall 
that eat. So let me read three of these verses of our text again today. Starting in verse 10, the last part. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more in love and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And all of this, I believe, will strengthen our Christian witness and might well be used by God to draw others to himself. Uh, Just think of what God can do and what God is doing when believers are behaving as salt and light in our workplace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, today that it is your transforming work by your grace that our lives are changed. We come to see our sin and our need of forgiveness. And we, need our, and we see our need of Christ Jesus. And then Jesus comes to live within us. His love comes to fill our hearts. We begin to see things differently. We see people differently. And we come to have a concern for the lost. And you call us to be salt and light. Salt and light always have an effect on a world of darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us who are in the workforce, help us, Lord, to be true salt and light so that others that are outside the faith would be drawn to Jesus. Help us to follow these exhortations of Paul that he gives to these people in Thessalonica and that we would then also not be in any need. So bless us and use us, Lord Jesus. May we pray for our co-workers or even those in school that we go to, because school can be a place of work as well as we do work assignments. But help us, Lord, to be used by you to draw others to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.